everyone. This is Regina. Hi, horse lovers. This is Lynn. This week on the Horse Industry Podcast. So Lynn and I are back on part two of the four sixes. And the problem is that we've talked about, do we discuss the ands? Do we talk about the remuda? I mean, how do you ever cover this topic? Well, and for me, I mean, so we launched our four sixes episode at the same time as the road to the horse was going on in Fort Worth. And I happened to be in Fort Worth. And guess what? Fort Worth was packed with people that couldn't even get tickets to go to the road to the horse. Four sixes had a shop there. They had like the little Oh, stores. did you buy anything? No, I didn't. No. <laughs> I couldn't find it. And we had to get back because Kevin's cutting was coming up. And so he had to get back. It was complete luck that we did part one. I don't think we should say that was luck. Okay. Shh. Never mind. We planned that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Mm -hmm. great timing on our part to launch our four sixes episode right during the road to the horse. But I learned so much more about the four sixes and about the road to the horse just because of that program. So just for our listeners that don't know or haven't caught the road to the horse. So basically it's a colt breaking competition. So they take the best of the best of the colt breakers. It's Ken McNabb. It's Wade Black. It's Craig Cameron. So they take like these elite trainers and pit them against some up and comers like Wylene Davis, Cole Cameron, Craig Moore. So what is so cool about this, for the 11th consecutive year, all the horses came from the four sixes. Amazing. Hand-picked by Dr. Glenn Blodgett. Who we discussed in the first yeah. part of the, our yeah. four sixes coverage yeah. on our podcast. And so for those of you that have not had a chance, you really need to go back and listen to our first episode on the four sixes. Cause we talk a lot about Burke Burnett and how he started the four sixes and kind of his philosophy and his theory about good, good cattle horses and good cattle. Are they cattle horses? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good cattle horses. <laughs> and so go back and listen. It was that episode aired on March 29th. So that's going to kind of give you kind of the foundation of how the four sixes started, who started it, and how they almost kind of got where they are today, which is a huge, huge, amazing ranch and family that has just done so much for Fort Worth and for for cattle and for quarter horses and so on. Yeah, it's a the four sixes is an amazing story. And I don't even know that in part two, I mean, there might be part three and four. Mm-hmm. What I can tell you, the four sixes has a brilliant genius marketing person. To be able to be on the 11th consecutive year of providing the horses for the road to the horse mm-hmm. and how popular that television series is now mm-hmm. and for the audiences. And they travel kind of around the country and do it in different spots. Mm-hmm. But a lot of my information, the four sixes comes from their website, which is full of information. And then again, they're out there with the store and sponsoring the road to the horse and providing the horses for the road to the horse. So that was really exciting stuff for me. And I really think that today, so first of all, we also have a connection that just talks about what a small world this is. So our producer, Atlanta, from 
Idaho, her children go to school with Wade Black's children who just won the road to the horse. <laughs> like Alana really didn't have an idea of how famous he was until she started listening to our episode and heard about the road to the horse and put it all together. So anyway, what a coincidence there. And a shout out to Alana, because we would not be where we are today. Almost 800 downloads. In fact, probably right now we've got 800 downloads as we sit here. Mm-hmm. People are listening and and she's done so much for us. So, yeah, so thank good you. Stuff. Thank you, Alana. You have meant a lot to Lynn and I, kind of as we chase this dream of sharing stories of the industry. And again, like Lynn said, when she was telling us that she knew him, it was like, wait, what? How is that even possible? I mean, yeah. it's so yeah. cool. So yeah. Small and world. congrats to him too. Yes. I mean, that's fantastic. Yep. He got a check for $75,000 Nice after winning that. Yeah. Nice. That's fantastic. Okay. So this is part two, and it's probably going to be part two, like Lynn said, of maybe three or four episodes on the four sixes, because the more we talk about it and the more we research it, we learn about the different facets to four sixes, the horses, the cattle, and so on. So our first episode, Lynn and I shared the history of the four sixes, how Burke Burnett started the ranch and the holdings of the ranch today. In the previous four sixes episode, we also shared that The ranch was for sale based on the terms of the will left by the four sixes heir, Anne Winford Marion. And that's just such a hard thing to wrap our heads around that that family could sell that ranch. Anne is the great granddaughter of Burke Burnett. So again, go back and listen to the first episode. This is kind of part two, but it's also kind of the bookend when it comes to the people of the four sixes. So Burke Burnett started it. And then Anne Winford Marion, his great-granddaughter, is the one who just passed away last year, and she is selling the famous Four Sixes Ranch. So much of what we're going to share with you today is from the New York Times article published shortly after Anne Marion's death. So Anne, again, as we've shared, was a prominent Texas rancher, oil heiress, and patron of the arts who helped found the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And literally, I don't know anything about art. I mean, I think like Monet, Beethoven, wait, Beethoven was a musician. (laughs) Okay. She knows nothing about the arts. (laughs) Not not at all. But I do recognize Georgia O'Keeffe. I mean, that's pretty Probably because she plays to us too. I mean, she's more, we'll see it in different places. Yeah. Southwest, big flowers. And I love her vibrant stuff. So, so obviously Anne Marion was a big patron of the arts. She was born in 1938 in Fort Worth. Her father, James Goodwin Hall, was a stockbroker, a pilot, and a horse breeder. And of course, Anne's mother, Anne Valiant Burnett Hall, was a rancher and a horse breeder and Burke Burnett's granddaughter. So Anne Winford Marion, who, again, is the one that just passed away and is selling the ranch. Right. And they referred to her a lot as Little Anne. So you may hear Miss Anne, which was her mother, and then Little Anne is Anne Marion that we're going to spend our time on today. Okay. So Little Anne's parents divorced when Anne was young. And her mother married Robert Winfor, who adopted her. And that's how she got that last name, Anne Burnett Winfor. So can you imagine the prenups in that family? Cannot. I cannot. And the way that the will was written, too. So Miss Anne, when Miss Anne, the original Anne, inherited, it was put in a trust for her yet unborn child, which is little 
Anne. There's got to be a story there. Anybody confused? There's enough Anne's in that family to go around. I couldn't keep them straight. In fact, at one point when Lynn and I were kind of mapping out this episode, I literally, you know, like those organizational charts you do for a business? I literally had to do the organizational chart because I couldn't keep all the Anne's straight. Well, and I'm going to, just from my research and the things that I've read, I like little Anne. You do? I think little Anne was a really good human. I think Miss Anne Want so much? She, well, I, I think like the stories, she was a tough old broad. <laughs> That's okay. I think. I mean, from yeah. what I've read. Yeah. But, right? I mean, running a ranch. I mean, she was born in 1900, and she's a woman mm-hmm. running one of the the biggest ranches in the country. Mm-hmm. She might need to be a bit tough. I would think so. Now, which one Which one of the Anns did the health insurance for the couple? Little Ann. Little Ann. It was so- Little Ann that did all that. And Little Ann, she was um, – she spent her summers on the ranch, mm-hmm. and she's quoted as saying that the most important thing that ever happened to me was growing up on the ranch during my summers. She spent time in Switzerland in school. She spent time in the East. So you're going to talk about that. But I'll go ahead and let you fill in there. Okay. So as a youth, Anne Marion was educated at Miss Porter's School in Farmington, Connecticut, and at Briarcliff Junior College in Westchester County, New York, which is a far cry from Texas. I'd have been sneaking out of there. (laughs) It doesn't sound like much fun. (laughs) She briefly attended the University of Texas at Austin and the University of Geneva in Switzerland, where she she studied art history. I clearly did not study art history. She took care of it. Okay, so while the family fortune was founded on ranching and cattle, it was the discovery of oil in 1921 and then in 1969 that produced the riches that made it possible for Anne Marion, little Anne, to become a major benefactor of the arts and culture in Fort Worth and beyond. Anne was the driving force behind the expansion of the modern art museum of Fort Worth. And she also supported like the National Cowgirl Museum Hall of Fame, what she was inducted into later on in her life. And just as a side note, she was also inducted in the American Quarter Horse Association. Anne also supported the Kimball Art Museum, where she was a board member. And then, of course, you know, back to this this O'Keefe Museum, her and her husband, that was one of their most significant accomplishments. They were really, really proud of that. Anne Marion was quoted as saying, I've always loved O'Keefe's work. She had some paintings and just like a rich Texan, instead of donating those paintings to another museum, she decided just to build her own for O'Keefe. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And her husband was a famous art auctioneer, I believe. At Sotheby's. Yes. So not only did she have a love for the art, but I mean, she was an astute businesswoman too. Like, yes, she was involved in all the uh, philanthropy. (laughs) Philanthropy. <laughs> it's so funny. So I, I, my notes here. So I'm supposed to, I was going to share that the, so she planted the seed money for the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum, right? Yep. But she also, they also needed more money. And so the article said the list of benefactors posted on its plastered adobe walls reads like a who's who of Texas philanthropists and philanthropic groups. I have stumbled over those two words so much. (laughs) I crossed it out and just wrote Texans. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like um, a retired Neiman Marcus chairman, a founder of Southwest Airlines, you know, all different people really kind of partnered with her to support the culture and the museums and the art in the area, but she was really the driving force for it. And it was reported that throughout her life, despite her many contributions to cultural institutions, Anne remained modest and actually differential to the art 
that she revered. She was very, very discreet about her philanthropy. And there's this art dealer who worked with both Anne and her husband who said that she was personally very shy. So she did not like publicity whatsoever. And shortly after she died, Texas Architect Magazine identified her as the kind of benefactor who on occasion would be recognized publicly, but many times people like that, their actions are very quiet and known only to a few and therefore not acknowledged. So in other words, like the reward and recognition of what they've done for the community is not their motive and their humility generally prevails in everything that they do. But above all, she wanted the very, very best for the institutions that she loved and wanted to support. Yeah, one of the numbers that I came across, $600 million in charitable grants that that family put together and that she was behind. Unbelievable. So when Anne and her husband, John Marion, who again was that auctioneer at Sotheby's, when they went in 1988, she was an heiress to a Texas oil and ranching fortune, as we know, and he was the chairman and chief auctioneer at Sotheby's. They said it was a quiet ceremony, but it was followed by a rollicking reception. Anne was marrying a celebrity in the art world, a man who, over the course of decades conducting auctions at Sotheby's, had become so synonymous with the phenomenon of art auctions. Phenomenon of- You did good with that. <laughs> Thanks. Wow. That he played himself on The Cosby Show. He regularly made headlines selling paintings by Van Gogh and Picasso. And those would sell for upwards of $40 million. And for his part, he was marrying into an oil fortune responsible for amassing hundreds of thousands of acres of land in Texas and with Anne's world-class art collection. Amazing. Wouldn't you like to have been just a fly on the wall? Just the conversations and the the culture and the history that they touched and the things that they made together is just amazing. Well, even the pictures. I mean, the the main house at the ranch that is for sale, the pictures of it. It's so it's such a quintessential Southwest mansion. For our listeners, you really should go to the Four Sixes website and check out the pictures and just kind of get a sense of of what that is. Now, here's a side note. I want to share this. So do you know that, you remember the Marlboro Man? Yes. Yes. So the Marlboro Man actually was this, this cowboy at the Four Sixes. And so the story is that there was this advertising firm and this guy named Neil McBain. He came through the rolling plains of Texas in 1963. He was actually looking for rustic settings for a soap advertisement. But he stopped in Guthrie at the Four Sixes Supply House, which was the only general store in town. And in there was this rugged-looking cowboy, and his name was Big Gun Bradley, Carl Big Gun Bradley. And Big Gun Bradley was there giving orders to the rest of the cowboys that morning. And this McBain knew that is who he needed and wanted as the young cowboy to represent the Marlboro campaign. And how many women have drooled over the Marlboro man for all those years? Actually, when I read that, I had to go look it up. And he actually, did he look like Burt Reynolds? A little bit. Yeah. He looked a little bit like Burt Reynolds. Yeah. A young Burt Reynolds. So- if you look back at the old Marlboro ads, which of course we don't 
get to see anymore. You can see the force, the red four sixes barn in the background. And that's kind of how the Marlboro brand became associated with the four sixes ranch. So that's just kind of a fun little side story to the ranch and Marlboro and that whole connection. And if you think about it, that was 1963. So that would have been during Anne Marion's time as little Anne running the ranch. Yeah. And I came across an article in the Western Horseman cover story from 2019. And it says that Marion's attachment to the ranch was described as deep and lifelong. And we've talked about that. In her youth, Marion said growing up at the ranch was one of the most important things. Her leadership, active involvement, and management were much appreciated by the ranch's cowboys. The ranch was among the very first in the industry to provide medical benefits and retirement plans for its cowboys. That's crazy. Like, that doesn't even happen today. Marion also insisted on excellent living and working conditions and benefits for the cowboys, which inspired their deep, deep devotion and explained why many worked the ranch for decades including Boots O'Neill. And so there's this really cute story that I saw about Boots O'Neill. So Boots spent over 70 years punching cows and worked for little Ann. Punching cows? Yeah, he's a cow puncher. What is that? Uh, he's working the ranch, Gina. He's okay. branding and gathering up cattle. <laughs> I have a literal vision of punching cows. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we cover that? in? Uh, well, we covered that in Cheyenne. Oh, yeah. Cheyenne's episode, Punchy. He was yeah. really punchy. punchy. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so Boots apparently had an ailment. Something was wrong with his wrist or his elbow or hand or something like that. And he just was not getting any better. So little Ann insisted on taking him to the doctor. So she took him herself. Again, she's a bazillionaire, heiress, rancher, art lover, whatever. She took old Boots Chick old dusty boots <laughs> to see the orthopedic surgeon. Probably dragged him there, right? Right. Well, and that's what the story, and that's how, kind of how the story goes, is that when she got boots there, the, the doctor looked at him and, you know, tried to come up with a treatment plan and said that, you know, he really needs to go see this specialist in some other state or whatever. And she looked at him and she said, you need to fix them here <laughs> because you don't know what it took for me to get boots to see you. So let's do what we can do here. Right, right. And I know that she gave Boots, who's in his 80s, and, and that was that article was from a while ago, so I mm -hmm. hope that Boots is still alive and kicking, mm -hmm. but she gave him a lifelong lease on the ranch. Aww. So whoever buys it, better honor that. Yeah, they better keep Boots yeah, and absolutely. recognize his contribution. Yeah. So, and it talks about just some of the other, I mean, we talked about her being such a businesswoman. In addition to serving as chairman of the Burnett Ranches, she was chairman and founder of the Burnett Oil Company and president of the Burnett Foundation. Four decades of foundation's existence and $600 million in charitable grants have made supporting arts and humanities, community development, education, health, and human services a priority. I mean, what a woman. And what a woman. Yeah. So, Gina, one of the things that I have to talk about today, or my husband is going to be so upset with me, are the horses that oh. were on that ranch. So we've <laughs> got to touch a little bit on the horses that came from that ranch. And so it was performance horses, it was race horses, cutting horses, and ranch horses. The ranch horses are not discipline specific, but they're all around athletes. They're sold at premier auctions across the country and at the ranch. Dr. Blodgett has been ahead of the the horse program at the Four Sixes since 1982. He's produced a steady stream of champion performance race and ranch horses. 
And again, we talked about how, how influential he is with the horses that are chosen for the road to the horse. But one of the horses that can't go without mention when you talk about the four sixes is Dash for Cash. Dash for Cash had earned lifetime earnings himself of over $500,000. He ran 25 races and won 21 of those races. Wow. And he is very influential in racehorses today, quarter horse racing today, and barrel racing today. So Dash for Cash is just one of those horses. And if you go to their website, it lists all the stallions and it lists, you know, you'll see cutting horse championship, cutting horse champions, racehorse champions, barrel racing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, so as we talk about Little Anne and we wrap up this episode, it's important to recognize how influential she was and what an impact she made in her community and throughout Texas and actually throughout the world with with her contributions. I'm going to close with a quote from former President George W. Bush. He called her a true Texan, a great patron of the arts, a generous member of our community, and a person of elegance and strength. So that's our story this week. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to spending more time with you and sharing stories of our industry. See you next week.